Yeah, launch is a is not a one-time thing. Launch is a strategy that we're going to be talking about, like uh, Tom said, over and over and over. So when we have launch Sunday in a few, couple of weeks, three weeks, and apologies uh, for the microphone if it's feeding back or too loud or something. It's a brand new mic, so we're we're working on getting it getting it set. Uh, it's uh, on the job training with it. Um, we uh, launch is something that's going to happen over and over and over. Uh, it, it's not a one Sunday thing. It's it's us as a church, as a staff, providing opportunities, uh, growth, discipleship, etc., 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 for you as individuals to daily launch your net into the deep to catch, to be fishers of men, like uh, uh, you saw there in the video. Some of you who are fans of old movies will have rec will, uh, recognized Buster Keaton in that uh, fishers of men spot. The, the uh, focal verse for launch is Luke 5.4. We will talk about that verse in depth in uh, three weeks, or is it two weeks? Well, two, more, two weeks, two weeks, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that. This morning, we're going to begin with the first word loving. As a matter of fact, we are going to look at loving for the next two weeks, the, the L of launch. We're going to look at Acts 2, 37 through 41. Uh, God really knew what he was doing when he was putting these uh, two series together because this continues uh, or actually brings to a good stopping point our uh, series on uh, first church uh, the, the beginning of the church that we've been looking at in Acts, this verse allows me to, I believe, pretty seamlessly transition from that series to this short three-week series. Uh, that, that, that this passage that we're going to look at this morning spoke exactly where we needed it to in order to begin this idea of, of, of loving folks. Uh, like Tom said, that is the beginning uh, that is the, the acronym, loving among the uttermost, our neighborhoods, our city, and our homes. And for two weeks, we're going to focus on loving. What does it mean to be loving? What does it mean to be a, a loving church, a loving individual? This week, we're looking at loving with truth. We must, in order to be loving, share truth. Some will want loving to mean that we sacrifice our convictions, that we love no matter what. Uh, or we want to redefine love to actually mean acceptance of certain things. For example, if you loved me, you would accept my homosexuality. That is not the kind of love the Bible speaks of. And this morning in, particularly, in particular, rather, we are looking at loving with truth. Loving does mean loving with compassion with those who are struggling with their sin, whatever their sin is. But what it does not mean is that we just accept that as okay and leave them there. Next week we're going to talk about loving with compassion because that very clearly is what we are supposed to do with those who are struggling in their sin. But we don't love them if we aren't willing to express truth with them. And that's the point, that's the purpose of the message this morning. I contend we are most loving 
as Christians when we share salvation and repentance. And we see that shared at the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost uh, when so many people responded. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41 with me. It says, When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will, God, our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. I said it once, I'll say it again. There is nothing more loving that we can do than share how a lost soul can be reconciled with God. Nothing. There, there's, no, there's no amount of benevolence we can give. There's no amount of help. There's no uh, amount of, of, of shoulder for crying we can offer. There is nothing we can do that is more loving than sharing the truth of the gospel. The corollary to that, for, for you math folks, the corollary to that is there's nothing more loving we can do than call a saint mired in sin to repentance. It's two sides of the same coin for us. As believers, we want to call the lost to salvation and believers to sanctification. That is our responsibility. It is our responsibility to express truth at all points. The Bible's clear. We express truth in love, but we share the truth and nothing less. Peter called for that reconciliation, and he called for it through repentance. He was talking to people who had not accepted Christ. As a matter of fact, as we saw in his sermon, he was talking to some of the very people who took part in his crucifixion. And we'll see his response, the response there in a few minutes. So what happened that occurred when Peter was out there uh, and offered this altar call, this invitation? Verse 37 tells us they were pierced. They were stabbed. They were, to, uh, to the, their very heart, this word carries with it. As a matter of fact, uh, Homer used in his Greek writing this word, and he used it to refer to the constant stamping of a horse's hoof into the ground. And if, if you're, anybody's familiar with the size of a horse, eventually that makes a dent. And if they keep going, it makes a hole. And that's the kind of picture we get here is that these people were punched in the chest by the fact that, well, by the fact of their own sin. And what we see is that confrontation of their sinfulness, their confrontation with their sinfulness led to conviction for their sinfulness. We have to get people to understand when we are sharing the gospel, when we're talking about salvation, what are we saved from? If, if you remember, uh, I, I believe maybe, I, I think every Southern Baptist church, or many, many of them went through faith evangelism years ago. Not if that was something that we did here. Okay, thank you. Um, 
one of the things, uh, one of the parts of the F-A-I-T-H was that you were saved from something. Uh, you had to, uh, the, the T was turned, I believe, you repented because you were saved from something. There, there is something we need to be saved from, and that is our sin. It is an incomplete gospel that is shared when we don't tell somebody their sinfulness. They're sinners. Most of us realize it, 99% of us. Now, we want to brush them off and say, well, I'm not that bad, or my sins aren't that bad, or whatever, but we will at least acknowledge, yeah, 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 I do sin. So it's a fairly easy acknowledgement to, to get to, but we've got to get to that point. We have to get to the confrontation of sinfulness so that we, it can lead to conviction of sinfulness. That's what happened with this group on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches this message. He explains what happened. He tells them who Jesus was, and suddenly they get it. They were pierced to the heart. That was, that, that's, that's me. He's talking about me. I did that. We did that. Now, clearly, not everyone was pierced. There, was, there were much more uh, many more than 3,000 people there that day. Only 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Depending on your perspective, if you're a glass half full, glass half empty, if you're, if you're half empty, only 3,000 people got, that saved, got saved that day out of all those people. If you're half full, it, can you believe 3,000 people got saved? See, that just depends on what kind of mood the preacher's in that day. That's really the way that works. Um, they were pierced, they were convicted, and they confronted it. And once they were convicted, uh, uh, once they were rather confronted and then convicted, there was an immediate question, what should we do? Peter had just told them, the Jews, the Jewish people, the Jewish people that for a few thousand years had been waiting for the Messiah, the seed of David, the promised uh, one, the, the one who had crushed the head of the serpent, the one they had been waiting for, the one that the prophets talked about, the one that the, 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 the Ten Commandments prepared them for, the Messiah they were looking for stood before them and they crucified him. I, there's a, a movie, and I'm going to give away the ending. So if you've ever thought, boy, I love Stephen King movies, and that's one that I've never seen, uh, and I really want to see it later on, well, I'm about to tell you what happens. Um, it's been out a long time. You should have seen it by now if you wanted to see it. Uh, the name of it was The Mist. I've never seen the movie. I have no idea. I only know the ending. And it's this mist, and I think it's aliens or something. I don't know what's in the mist, but it's just kind of going through, and everybody with the mist comes on. Somehow they die. Maybe it, I think it, I think there are there's something that lives in the mist and kills everybody. And this this guy, uh, it, it's the end of the movie, and he's I guess he's been running from it, fighting it all this time, trying to protect his family. But they kind of made a pact that they weren't going to let the mist get them. They were going to take care of things. Him, his wife, his kids. They were going to take care of things. I'm not going to be too graphic. Uh, well, he took care of his family first and was about to take care of himself so they wouldn't be taken by the mist. As the mist comes forward and these shadowy figures get to the car that they're sitting in, he's about to take care of himself. Somebody knocks on the window and says, hey, we beat it. 
Ugh. Darn that Stephen King. Uh, he's good at those kinds of things. That's an inkling. That's a glimmer of what these people felt. They had been waiting for the answer, waiting for the rescue, waiting for the one who would save them, the Messiah. He comes, and they kill him. And now they get it. Oh, what have we done? What should we do? See, true conviction leads to an understanding of need. They knew something was wrong. They, they, once, once they got it, once it was clear, once they quit denying it in their heads and saying, oh, that's not what the Bible says, or whatever they were saying at the time. Oh, that's not what was, that's no, it means something else. It doesn't mean it for me, whatever. Once they were truly convicted, they knew there's got to be something. There's got to be something we can do. The Messiah was supposed to save us. The Messiah was supposed to fix everything, and we killed him. What do we do now? And Peter says, but, well, you know, he's not dead, right? Because that was part of the message. You killed him, but that was part of the plan. God used your stupidity, God used your evil to work out his plan for good. And he raised him from the dead. And they understood, we've messed up. Is there any hope for us now? And Peter says, yes. See, understanding the need seeks a remedy. I understand that I'm a sinner. I understand now that I've been con convicted of that sin. I understand my need. What do I do to solve the need? What do I do to fix it? What do I do to find a remedy? And Peter says, repent. No hoops. No sacrifice. No, no law. Tonight, we're going to talk about circumcision Sunday night we're going through Galatians we're to the circumcision part sorry uh, none of that none of the outward show no, nothing physical nothing that you have to do to be saved other than repent verse 38 he makes it clear repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit you have heard what repent means if you've been in church any length of time you have heard repentance you better have or you've been in the wrong church you have heard repentance talked about no telling how many times it is a change in direction it's an about face I've made clear how unmilitary I am, but I was in the marching band. Not the same, I know, but marched. I'm, that's all I'm saying is march, march. That's the only correlation I'm making. Uh, an about face was, you know, you're going one way and you turn around 180 degrees and you go the other. It carries with it in this passage this idea all throughout the New Testament, or rather the Old Testament, of changing one's mind. That is part of it. But there's more to it than just changing one's mind. It is a complete alteration of the direction you were going. No longer going in that direction, but going the complete opposite. Now, it's not like you're going from here to the North Pole, and you changed your mind, and you still want to go to the North Pole, but you're, 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 you're going to go south. You know, we live on a sphere, so eventually you get there, Right? No, no, this is, once you change direction, you will never get where you were going. 
you will only now get to where you are currently, what you're currently pointed toward. So this is not something that, you know, there's a variation, a slight change, uh, 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 a minor recalculation. This is something that is completely different. Particularly for these folks, he's telling them, turn from what led you to crucify Jesus and turn to Jesus. What kind of cognitive dissonance, what kind of fight was going on in their brain at this point? When we ask people who are irreligious to trust Christ, when we explain the gospel to them, we may be bring, uh, 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 sharing some completely novel thought with them. Oh, really? I'd never thought about it that way. Oh, that's who Jesus is. Okay, that's interesting. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. I can, I can get that I'm a sinner, that I need to repent of that sin and, and turn to Christ. I got it. That's not what Peter was asking these people to do. That's why this imagery of repentance is so profound. They have to, in that moment, or at least Peter is asking them to, in that moment, completely disregard everything that they had done, sought, fought for in the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, those who were against him from the get-go, others that were turned in the last days, uh, last couple of days, to, to call for his crucifixion. He's asking them to completely disregard everything that they have done and completely turn from that. While that creates for us a, a great study of, of cognitive dissonance, it really is no different from what we're asked to do today. I, I'm, I am completely able, perfectly able, of taking things on my own, Jesus. Thank you. I've got this. I can do it. If I'm good enough, if my good outweighs my bad, if I join the right church, if I do the right things, then I'll probably make it and even if I just get to the gates, I'm a pretty good salesman. I think I can talk them into letting me in. That's what we say. We don't say those things, but that's what the vast majority of people believe. Or, the Bible's not true, there is no heaven, I mean, we could go there. Or, sure, this is all rules, but really God's just going to let everybody in because he loves everybody. I mean, that, we, we've got so many answers when the Bible is clear what the answer is. So, it creates a great deal of cognitive dissonance today when we tell somebody, no, you can't get yourself to heaven. Turn from what you think, in this case, your sin, because, as I said last week, it was my sin that crucified Jesus. It was your sin that crucified Jesus. So we're still today being asked to turn from what crucified Jesus to Jesus himself. Now, everything that follows this repentance that, Paul, uh, that Peter calls for here is a result of that repentance. He says next, be baptized. Here the key is the response to repentance. It's not the actual rite of baptism. Baptism does not save us. It's an outward show of an inward reality is what we talk about when we talk about baptism. Baptism is your public profession. It's your, I've called it before, your first obedience. 
Now, it may not really be. Uh, hopefully, between the time you get saved and the time you get baptized, you're obedient to Jesus. But the, it is your big, first, public obedience. Walking down front, praying with me, that's not a public profession of faith, biblically. It's, it's great if that's what you want to do. If you want to solidify some things in your mind and you're, I've got some questions, Michael, I want to pray. This is what I want to do. How do I go about this? How do I call out to God? How do I accept, as it says here at the the end of the, uh, the passage that we're looking at. How do I do those things? We can pray about that. But walking an aisle is not your public profession of faith. In a lot of churches, it seems that it has become that. We're Baptist, y'all. We're not aisle walker. First aisle walker church. We're first Baptist church. That is your public profession of your, of, of your faith. That is where you say, I'm a Jesus follower. And that's what this is. Peter says, be baptized, make it public, be different from everybody else. Go through this rite, this initiation. Folks, the idea of an unbaptized believer is unheard of in the New Testament. There are no unbaptized believers. There are gaps between salvation and baptism, but there is no unbaptized believer, except for maybe the thief on the cross in the New Testament. So believer, if you've never followed in obedience, why not? If you've never been baptized, you've accepted Christ, but you've never been scripturally baptized. I didn't say sprinkled when you were a baby. I said baptized, dumped, immersed. You know, there are very few words in the uh, Bible that they decided not to translate. Baptize is one of them. Because it got a little, got a little dicey there. If you're going to translate that word baptizo from the Greek, you're going to translate it immerse. Except there are a lot of people already when they were translating into English that didn't immerse. They sprinkled, they poured. So they said, well, just, let's, just, let's just leave it baptize. And people can, well, no. It's believers dunking that comes next. And that's what he commands them to do. Be dunked. Uh, as a believer, in the name of Jesus, he continues, no other name by which you can be saved, not in the name of Peter, not in the name of Paul, not in the name of uh, Arminius, not in the name of Calvin, not in the name of anybody, but Jesus. That is where, that is the name by which we are saved. No other name under heaven. So there would be no other name we would baptize. You're not baptized under the name of First Baptist Church when you accept Christ and are baptized here. Or uh, uh, Houston River Baptist or First Assembly of God or uh, First Pentecostal wh whatever the church name, that does not matter you're not baptized there, you are baptized in the name of Jesus because Jesus has the authority to save Jesus has the authority uh oh, to declare what is sin Jesus has the authority to send the Holy Spirit. We just talked about that. So if that is Jesus' authority, then we are baptizing not in the name of Michael, not in the name of y'all, not in the name of this building, but only in the name of Jesus. Your public profession says, I am placing myself under his authority from this day forward till he takes me home. That is baptism. And that is baptism that comes from repentance. And then he says, for the forgiveness of your sins. This little fragment has caused much consternation in the theological world. Because what it says is, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, what does that sound like? 
There's an entire Christian denomination that says, in order to be saved, you must be baptized. Baptism saves you. This is one of the verses they, they go to. Baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And it is based on one little word, E-I-S in Greek, ice. One little word that can mean for or can mean on the basis of. It makes a big difference how you translate that word, particularly in this sentence. So are we being baptized for our salvation? Or are we uh, being baptized, rather, for the forgiveness of our sins? Or are we being baptized on the basis of forgiveness for our sins? Is baptism, cause, baptism causing something? Or is baptism the result of something? Well, there are numerous places where it's clear that salvation occurred without baptism. Baptism is the public profession. It is the first obedience, but it is never mentioned as a saving act because there is no saving act. There is no work that you can do. If baptism saves you, then circumcision saves you because that's the, that's the same thing. The folks in Galatia were saying, oh, in order to be saved, trust Christ and be circumcised. Well, folks that will say, uh, in order to be saved, trust Christ and be baptized, they're adding to the gospel, adding a work to the gospel. So you are being baptized as a result of repentance or on the basis of repentance because it is your sin that condemns you. It is from your sin that you need rescue, and therefore it is loving to share forgiveness of sin. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Sin is the problem. Sin is always the problem. What are you going through right now? Well, sin's the problem. I'm not doing anything. It's a health issue. Okay. Health issues enter the world because of sin. Sin is the problem. The only remedy, the only thing that rectifies sin is Jesus. The forgiveness of that sin. And even that won't fix the problem today. A lot of Christians suffering. A lot of Christians hurting. But one day, we will be glorified. We will be brand new. But it can start now. This, this inward change, this even outward change comes because of Christ. He says, you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you uh, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter has just said, just a few minutes before, the Holy Spirit came as a result of Jesus, the Messiah, ascending to the right hand of God. We know that the Holy Spirit only comes when the Messiah is come. We know that the Spirit only comes from God. We know that David said that his Lord, his offspring, would ascend to God. So you see how all those things came together to send us the Holy Spirit? So this Messiah-sent gift from this Messiah that you killed is a gift that you will receive. A gift of himself, not outward signs. We sang a song just a few minutes ago that talked about the paraclete. We don't use that word, and we're not talking very often, and we're not talking little birds that go tweet, tweet, tweet. That's a parakeet. This is a paraclete. 
It's a defender, a lawyer, an attorney, someone who stands in the stead of someone else. That is the Holy Spirit. First of all, though, the Holy Spirit, this gift that we receive, not tongues, not wallowing on the ground, not laughing our head off, not anything like that, but a gift of himself is first and foremost our sign and seal of salvation. Uh, often when we want to protect something, uh, we want ownership to, to be able to be proven down the road, we will put some sort of mark on an item. But we don't just put a label that says this belongs to. I mean, you can, but that's kind of obvious, right? You're not going to peel that off. Well, what do we do? We, we, we find somewhere where we hide it. Uh, they do that with VIN numbers on cars. They're in places, that in, they're in easy-to-reach places, but they're also in places kind of hard to get to, so you can't just take that number off. And that's what we do. We, 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 we put some sort of brand on it, something that's going to stick, something that maybe even other folks can't see, but when the person who knows where to look is looking, they immediately say, I know whose that is. That is the Holy Spirit in our lives. There are days, there are times when people may look at us and they don't see the Holy Spirit, where we look at ourselves and we don't really see the Holy Spirit. We don't think, man, I'm doing some good stuff today. We think, what in the world am I wrapped up in now? But the sign, the seal, the mark on our hearts is the Holy Spirit, that guarantee, the down payment, the Bible calls him that we will one day receive in full what we have currently received only in part. Full salvation versus what we receive in part now. So that's the first thing the Holy Spirit is, a sign and a seal that we are truly saved. He is the one who prays for us or intercedes for us, the Bible says. There's that paraclete, the one that talks to God for us. He is one who teaches as we read, as we study Scripture. He is the one that guides us to knowledge, guides us to truth. He is the one who comforts when we hurt, when we don't know what to pray, He prays. When we can't pray and we can't find the words, we know the comfort of the Holy Spirit praying for us. That is what we receive at salvation. Peter says, repent, be baptized. Know who the authority is. Have your uh, sins forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. Will guarantee your salvation. You hear the love? You hear Peter's heart for these people? You hear his knowledge of their need, though they didn't know they had the need? Verse 39, Peter goes on. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. Salvation is for everyone, verse 39 tells us. As Peter's preaching, he's telling them, this is not just for you, it's for your kids, for your, the rest of your family. It's not just for you who are here and your kids, it's not just for y'all locally, but those who are scattered. He's particularly talking about Jews right now. It's for the Jews here in town, but it's for the Jews that have been gone for hundreds of years, haven't made it back. It's a big Jewish colony in Alexandria, uh, Egypt. There, there are Jewish colonies all over the place. It's not just for you, but it's for everyone. 
But then it's, it's not just for the Jews, Acts goes on and tells us, but it is literally for everyone, for Gentile, for everybody who was, quote, outside the fold, outside of the Jewish community. There is no one for whom Jesus did not die, but everyone must repent. See, that's the message too. Jesus is for everyone. But repentance is the required for everyone. That's why if we don't get the message to people who have never heard the message, they die and they go to hell. They've never had the opportunity. They've never had the gospel preached to them. Repentance is required. And churches sit and argue over carpet color. Nobody's arguing over carpet color. I'm not calling anything out here in our church. It's just an example. But we focus on the extreme when the good news is only good news if it gets there in time. He preaches his message. He calls them to repentance. And verse 40 tells us, with many other words, he testified. In other words, the sermon went a lot longer than we have written, so feel, don't, you know, it happens all, to all the preachers. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, strongly urged, begged them to be saved. Come to Christ. Be saved from this corrupt generation. Be saved from this generation that will tell you you don't need to be saved. Be saved from this generation that will tell you Jesus was nobody. Jesus is not anybody that you need to worry about. Be saved from this generation that tells you, no, your sin is okay. There is no sin. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you feel good with yourself. Be saved from this generation that would say morals are relative. Truth is relative. No, truth is Jesus Christ. That is truth. That is the truth we, we preach. And verse 41 tells us that those who accepted that day were 3,000 people. 3,000 accepted, believed. See, the truth sets us free. Truth is what frees us from sin. The truth is what frees us from ourselves. The truth is what frees us from the concern over disease and cancer and heartache. Truth is what frees us to love people who are unlovable. The truth is what compels us to go and tell people and about Jesus, loving them with compassion, but loving them with truth. The truth sets us free. Many accepted his message. You must accept the message. You must believe the message. You can sit here this morning, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand every word that I say, and, and say to yourself, that makes perfect sense. But if you walk out of here, do not accept the message, do not believe and trust Christ as your Savior, are not converted by the message that you hear, and a Mack truck runs over you when you cross the road, you die and you go to hell, full of knowledge but devoid of faith. That is the way it works. The truth sets us free. It will not be forced on you. God will not force himself on you. It is the truth that we must preach. Neither deistic 
therapeutic moralism, nor scripturalist self-help psychobabble, nor mealy-mouthed relativistic acceptance can save anyone. Let me define those for you. Deistic therapeutic moralism. God loves you and he wants you to be better. Let's take an offering. Doesn't do anybody any good. Uh, scripturalist self-help psychobabble. I'm going to tell you five ways that you can be better in your life. Five ways that you can be the I am in your life. That is heresy. There's only one I am in my life, and I am not him. Mealy-mouthed, relativistic acceptance. I know the Bible says that's sin, but you know, we're, we're, we don't judge. We just, we just want you to know we love you, God loves you. Let's take an offering. That will not do anything for anyone. As a matter of fact, those three types of preaching, types of teaching, types of churches solidify the unbeliever's damnation. Nothing to get them out of hell. So if that's what you listen to during the week, stop. If that's what you think will save somebody, go back to the truth. We preach, we teach, we share the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ is the net that we must launch. So as we talk about launch, particularly over the next three weeks, but then as we continue as a strategy for reaching the com our community and the world, we are always talking about one thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will launch the truth of Jesus Christ with loving compassion. Absolutely, we'll talk about that next week. We will love people. We will be compassionate with people. We will launch it with an eye toward a ministry of helps. We will look for opportunities to minister to people, to bring them up, to pull them up, to hold them up, but we will always launch it with the sole end goal of seeing the lost converted by the truth. That is what we will launch. Anything less than that, let's shut the doors and let this be an office complex because we are not the church if we're not preaching the truth. We are not the church if we're telling somebody, no, you're okay with wherever you are. God loves you just like you are. God does love you just like you are, but he will not leave you there. That is not what he called you to be. That is not his plan for you. He will call and we as a church and you as individuals, y'all, the church is made up of individuals. You as individuals must launch your net, launch the truth that only Jesus Christ can save. That's your call. That is our encouragement. It is our staff's responsibility to give you every tool possible to launch your net to reach down on the other side. You've caught nothing. It's because you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat, y'all. You think you know which side of the boat to fish on, but Jesus has come up and said, you've been fishing all night, you hadn't caught anything, go to the other side. Do it my way. Do it the way I tell you. We will love with truth as a church. And just like a Band-Aid, Sometimes it's going to hurt, 
when we rip it off. Or surgery. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. Sometimes the recovery actually feels worse than the disease. But once we've healed, once the truth has worked through us, we can't imagine why we ever lived with that disease that we had to begin with. We will launch the truth of Jesus Christ. This morning, though, I want you to hear the words of Peter, to question, to ask yourself, if I experience the truth, if, if, heaven forbid, I walked out across the street and got run over by a Mack truck, would it be the end of the only hell I will ever know because I'll go to heaven? Or will it be the only the end of the only heaven I'll know because I'll go to hell? See, for the believer, earth is the only hell they'll ever know. For the unbeliever, earth is the only heaven they'll ever know. What will happen with you? Where, where will you head? I want you to know the truth of Jesus Christ today. And you can know that truth. You can experience that truth. Three simple steps. Oh, have mercy. I sound like a cartoon on TV. Three simple steps. That's all that you need. Only my wife's getting that. Admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit your sinfulness and repent of those sins. Not just enough to know that you're a sinner, but turn from them. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is your salvation, your only salvation. You cannot do it on your own. And then finally, give your life to him and follow him. Commit to him. What will you do today? The net has been cast. Will you avoid being caught? Jesus is the only fisherman where the fish ought to want to be caught. They Please land me. They should be begging. Instead, we run from the net. This morning, will you continue to run from Jesus? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For all who will accept the call, it is for you. This morning, will you accept that call? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for continually, uh, continually casting the net. Lord, for the opportunity to, to, to see you fish over and over and over. And God, I pray this morning that we would experience salvation in this place, that you would move on the heart of someone who has never trusted you as Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation, that you would do a mighty work in their heart. Lord, if there is someone here, a believer, who has not been baptized, I pray that they would follow in the first big obedience, that would make that profession of faith public. Lord, if there is a believer here this morning who has struggled with well, telling the truth, being truthful with those who need to hear the truth. Maybe they've struggled with the truth in their own lives. They won't hear the truth of your word. And they are determined to make a God of themselves. Lord, I pray that you would convict hearts today and they would turn back to you. God, may we be a church that loves with compassion. But may we never lose the sight of the truth of Jesus Christ, the need of our sinfulness, and the gift that you offer. 
amidst that compassionate love. Just as you compassionately loved us, but chose to do something about our sin. Lord, thank you for that. We pray that you would work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's your decision?